Welcome to our part three podcast of Fahrenheit 451. I'm Chloe. I'm Bella. And I'm Emily. Next, we'll be listening to a voicemail that was left by Elizabeth Hernandez about our Fahrenheit 451 part two podcast. Hi guys, this is Elizabeth, and I just wanted to come on here and say that I really liked your guys' podcast. I thought you guys did a great job. One thing that I wanted to say was I really liked how you guys didn't hold back on disagreeing with others, or you didn't hold back with your questions in order to get a deeper understanding, which I think helped to create a really good discussion. I also have a question for you guys, and that is, why do you think Mildred would turn Montag in? You guys kind of go into detail about who you think turned Montag in, and one of those people was Mildred. What reasons do you think she would have, and are they even valid? Thanks. Bye. Responding to Elizabeth's question of why do you think Mildred turned Montag in, I think it was because she didn't really love Montag like they talked about before. I mean, she didn't even remember their past, which is really sad, and so I think that it wasn't a huge deal for her to lose her husband. Yeah, and I think that, like, she was just really worried about, like, being caught by the government, and then I think that they would, like, blame her for it, and so she's trying to, like, keep herself safe along with her house and stuff, but she ends up going away, which is a little, like, confusing. I agree. I think that even though she absolutely loved her parlor, I think she was willing to sacrifice it because of how guilty she felt. But moving on to this part of Fahrenheit 451, it talks about how Montag is forced to burn his own house down. After he did this, he burned Beatty, the mechanical hound, and his co-workers. He then ran away from his town and his problems. Along the way, he met Granger. He told Montag about his plan of memorizing books and then burning them. After some talking, Montag wants to join the group and is on a walk when he sees his city get hit and explode. He starts to think about his life and about Mildred and Faber. He remembers some and is sad to have maybe have lost them. Okay, I think that was a great summary. I think it really summed everything up really well. And I have a personal story that relates to our theme of cowardice. And um, so there's been many times in gymnastics where I was afraid to try a new skill. And so my coach knew that I was ready to do it, but I wasn't confident in myself. This made me shaky and nervous, and sometimes I would fail and have to start at the beginning and work my way all the way back up from the basics. And I did get frustrated, but I didn't quit, and in the end I did accomplish my goals. So like you mentioned earlier, our theme for this podcast will be cowardice. And I like your personal story because even though you were afraid, you continued to push through your hardships during gymnastics. So that was really good. Yeah, and I think um, it kind of connects to Montag because he was kind of a coward at first about his books and just keeping them hidden away and not doing much about it. But then towards the end, he started to think of ways to actually help the cause so Burns books didn't start keep being burned. Going back to your summary, you mentioned that Guy burned his house and his co-workers. So what do you guys think that him burning his house and his co-workers, what does that represent? Um, I think that it kind of represents 
how um, he's kind of, Beatty's being cruel to him and making him pay for what he did, and that kind of shows that, like, maybe Montag burned them down for a reason, and so I think it's, it's sad, but I can see why he did it. I also think that it's not just Beatty. I think he's mostly just, like, pretty much doing his job, and I think that if that wasn't the law, then Beatty would be fine with him doing that, but I think it's just because that's his job and that's what he's getting paid to do. He's really strict about it, and he wants to do the best of his job that he can. Yeah, and another question that I have about the impactful kind of topic is, so do you think what Granger and his group are doing to help books and stop them from being taken away fully is impactful, or should they do something different to make a better difference? I feel like they should be doing something more impactful, as in like sharing their wisdom with everyone else, because right now they're just keeping their knowledge to themselves, which is good because they're keeping the knowledge alive and everything, except they're not sharing it, so it's kind of stuck in this zone where no one's ever going to get to know about it. Yeah, yeah I, I agree, because I think that if they just bring book back, books back eventually, people will have not had them for so long that it won't mean as much. But if they like start to tell people more right now, then maybe it will be more impactful in the future. Yeah, and I also think that they should, yeah, start small, which is maybe what they're doing right now. We don't know. <clears throat> but, and then grow bigger and like expand their like group. Cause then, and like tell more people about them because more people know. I mean, they still want to keep them hidden from like the government, but I think they should encourage people more. Yeah, I agree. And something like that kind of connects to real wor world is like movements that are trying to ch make a change in government. They don't really, they have to have a bigger group of people to make a difference. It's not just one person that can make a huge difference. Like they have to have multiple people to make a change. Yeah, I talked about that in social studies actually, and it said like, can one person change the course of history or something? And like, this connects to their government and what you just said, because like, one person is pretty much the maker of the idea, and then there's always contributors. Like, it's not just one person ever, it's always, it always has more people supporting the idea. Going off of your question, Chloe, why do you think the government hasn't arrested the men along the tracks? Because they're illegally spreading the wisdom of the books, and yet the government is just allowing it to happen. I don't think that the government knows about it yet. They may have suspicions, but I don't think that they will let them keep going on with what they're doing. Because they're also not necessarily doing anything illegal that they know of because they're burning the books after they get them. So they're kind of uh, covering their tracks. So I think that's why the government hasn't done anything. And that relates back to our theme of cowardice because they're burning the books so they are afraid of getting caught even though they are spreading their knowledge. Yeah, and I have a question that kind of relates to uh, Granger and his group. It says... Um, why do you think Granger accepted Montag into his group exactly? I mean, they figured out that Montag had some of a book, but um, 
why were they not afraid of him and why do you think that they would accept him? I so have a soon? quote of where it says like why they were um, not scared and it says Granger nodded to a portable battery TV set by the TV. We've watched the chase and figured you'd wind up south along the river. When we heard you plunging around out in the forest like a drunken elk, we didn't hide as we usually do. We figured you were in the river. And so I think that this is why they weren't as afraid, because they already knew that he was coming. And so usually they're really scared when someone comes and finds them because they're more secluded. But this time they knew that he'd be coming, so it wasn't as scary. And they knew that he had burned books, so he was uh, not burned books. But um, so they weren't as scared of him. I also feel as though their Granger's group is really accepting because they they are keeping the knowledge of books and they want to continue to spread it throughout their society. So I feel like they just want to accept as many people as they can into their group and get their knowledge spread out there. Yeah, I have um, on page one forty seven. It says. Why do you trust me, said Montag. The look of you is enough. You haven't seen yourself in a mirror lately. Beyond that, the city has never cared so much about us to bother with an elaborate chase like this to find us. A few crackpots with verses in their heads can't touch them. And they know it. And we know it. Everyone knows it. So I think this kind of um, relates to my question with why they were accepting him. Because... Um, it says the look of you is enough and like he kind of goes deeper into meaning about what he means by that and like kind of um, says how they judge like they don't judge people but how they can decide yeah. something that relates to that is on page 148 where it says don't judge a book by a cover, someone said, and they all laughed quietly, moving downstream. Their group is really accepting, and they don't want to judge Montag just by what he looks like on the outside. They want, to, they want to get to know him and really know if they can trust him. Yeah, I, agree, I, agree, I agree with that, like, entirely. A question I have is on page 116 where it says Beatty wanted to die. Do you guys agree with that? Do you think that Beatty really wanted to die or was Montag kind of over-exaggerating? I think Montag was just trying to like cover it up a little bit. Like he was just kind of, that's what he like wanted to tell people. Like that Beatty's life wasn't very good and he was like, that kind of goes along with the cowardice part because maybe he doesn't want to die, but he's saying that he does because maybe he's scared to like, or ashamed of how his life is right now. Yeah. And so. I disagree. I feel like if Beauty had really wanted to live, he would have tried to prevent Montag from burning him. Sorry for the interruption, but moving on, I have a quote that kind of shows what happens at the end, and it says, Look, cried Montag, and the war began and ended in that instant. Later, the men around Montag could not say if they had re really seen anything. Perhaps the merest flourish of light and mo motion in the sky. Perhaps the bombs were there, and the jets ten miles, five miles, one mile up. For the merest instant, like green thrown over he the heavens by great sewing hand, and the bombs drifting away with dreadful swiftness, yet sudden slowness down 
upon the morning city they had left behind. So this is the part where the city gets bombed and they're starting, it's very descriptive and showing the sadness of it all. Like that city was where Montag spent his life and it's, it didn't mean much to him when he lived there, but now that he's seeing it go away, it, he's starting to rethink his, rethink it. Yeah, I agree. And I, well, I also think that he might feel some type of happiness because that, like, his government wasn't very, he didn't agree with his government at all, really. At, at first he did, and then once he opened up, he realized how wrong it was. And so now that he's safe, well, for now he's safe with Granger and his group. And so he might be feeling some kind of happiness because um, some of the... I disagree because after that he says... This was not to be believed. It was merely a gesture. Montag saw the flirt of a great metal fist over the far city, and he knew the scream of the jets that would follow would say after the deed, disinterrogate, leave no stone, on perish, on another perish, die. And he says, run, he cried to Faber, to Clarice, run to Mildred, get out, get out of there. And so he's, I feel like he's actually really sad, and he's not, at, like, happy to see his city go. I also disagree. I feel like he might be happy like a little bit, but mostly he's sad because I know this happens a lot in my life where if you take for granted a lot of things and as soon as you lose them, you're sad about it. So I feel like he, the city is one of those instances where while he was living there, he kind of took it for granted, but now that he's gone, he realizes that he's really lost everything in his life. He doesn't have Mildred anymore. He doesn't have Carice. He doesn't have Faber anymore. And that leads me to my next question, which was, how do you think Guy is feeling in this, in uh, this instant? I think it kind of shows his character development because he, at the beginning, he would have been happy to see his city go, but now I think that he is more sad. Yeah, and it also kind of shows um, an interesting element to the story that makes it more interesting because it's like, I don't think any of us were expecting this and it makes it a little bit more suspenseful. Like, what's going to happen next? Is he going to find Clarice or is Mildred okay? And so, yeah, I think that it makes it a lot more interesting. Yeah, I think the author had put more elements like suspense and maybe even some foreshadowing to make the chapter more interesting because it like completely turned and like I had like completely different feelings in the end about like the characters and the setting and stuff. What do you guys think would happen if the book extended past part three? What do you think guys life would be like? I think he'd mostly be living in shadows, honestly, yeah. like, trying to hide and, like... And be with the book group or whatever, like, that memorizes books. I think that's what he would do. But how, like, kind of connecting those, like, how do you guys want it to end? Not necessarily, like, how do you think it'll end, but how would you guys want it to keep going or end? I kind of wanted to, like, find out that Clarice had somehow found this book group 
and like she comes back into the story somehow. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, same. I was like, at the end, I was really hoping Clarice would come back, and then she didn't, and so now it's kind of like, I don't want it to be done. Like, I want Clarice to come back and stuff. Yeah. Another quote I have that relates to the topic of Clarice is where it says, I wonder if they were the ones who killed Clarice. He stopped, and in his mind, he said it again, very loud. I wonder if they were the ones who killed Clarice. What do you guys think actually happened to her? Because in that scene, Montag was reflecting about he nearly got hit by this car of hoodlums who was driving around recklessly. Do you think that Clarice got hit, or did the government actually end up taking her and her family hostage? Maybe I think that they took her and her family because I don't think their whole family would have moved out because she died. I think that maybe Clarice got hit now because I'm... I'm actually starting to believe that because when Montag wasn't found, they just hit a random person that they like didn't that wasn't Montag, and so maybe they did that to Clarice too, just so they could have it for show. Yeah, in my mind, I was co- kind of going back and forth because on one hand, why would Clarice's whole entire family disappear if the government didn't take them? But on the other hand, Montag nearly almost got hit, and it's quite a big coincidence if they were out driving and hit Clarice as well. So, I'm not sure. Yeah. I have um, a quote. It says, on page 118, it says, yes, he thought, where am I running? And this, I think, this is a good quote to talk about because He's kind of questioning about his future a little bit. It kind of goes along what we were talking about earlier. Like, he's questioning, like, where is he going to go? Like, what's he going to do? What do you think is going to happen? Like, Yeah, and, like, kind of going along with that and with his friends and stuff, I was wondering if you guys think Faber should have gone with Montag, like, tried to help him more, or if he'll find him in the future because he was like a really important part in the middle of the story and then now he's kind of just gone and so I was wondering if you guys think he should be like brought back in or if he will be. I think Faber really did a lot to help Montag already and I feel like it was really unnecessary. What he did do was just super incredibly kind. So I think that he's done enough. Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, he was a, he contributed a lot to the story. I mean, he kind of changed the plot a little bit, but I I think he's, he played his part. And he kind of goes along with the element, of, uh, the theme of cowardice, because in the beginning of the story, he talked about how, how much of a coward he was in his earlier ages, like just staying at his house and making the earplugs instead of like actually going out and doing something that he believed in. And so, yeah, I think that it makes, the cowardice thing really stand out. I think that cowardice really affected Faber's decisions, and I also think it affects our decisions in our everyday lives, because if we're afraid that we're going to get judged by our peers, I think that we're not going to do what we believed in. But a lot of historical people like Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks and Gandhi, those types of people, they're really <coughs> leaders who weren't cowards at all. They stood up for what they believed in, and they didn't care about what other people thought of them. 
Yeah, I agree with how that connects to our world because, like, I mean, some people in our world, like, they were, they used to be cowards, but then they, like, found their strength by doing something, and that boosted their confidence, just like Montag with Clarice. Um, yeah. Clarice kind of helped him find his yeah, inner strength. Yeah, I think that a lot of, like, the, the heroes or help, like, people that have made a change, like, today have at some point been scared or have needed somebody to kind of help them to yeah. make this this huge change that they made. And that kind of connects to Montag and Faber because they both needed each other to make a change, I thought. One more thing I think we should talk about before we wrap it up is on page 30, it starts talking about how Montag was running away from the hound. So what do you guys think some positives and negatives were of the mechanical hound? Do you think that it was really doing its job, or do you think... Well, I think it was trying, but, like, since they know that, since the government people know that it can make some mistakes, they were just doing it for show, mostly. Yeah. And they're kind of, like, they cover up its mistakes, and so... And it makes the end, like, with the mechanical hound kind of chasing them, it was really suspenseful. Like, we were like, is he going to catch him, or is Faber going to get hurt too? Like, I was, like, kind of scared for them, and it built an element of suspense in the story. Yeah, And it was also a little bit of foreshadowing, because you kind of could feel that something bad was going to happen, because the hound was chasing him, and it ended up actually kind of turning out worse, because in the end, his city exploded. Yeah. part three podcast thank you so much for listening and again i'm bella i'm emily and i'm chloe we hope you tune in next